and welcome to another episode of the Talking Heads podcast with me, Saul Walker. And me, Lucy Chamberlain. With winter's arrival and dark evenings in good supply, this is the perfect time to gain your favourite gardening podcast fix. To help you through the spring, Saul and myself will keep you entertained and informed with podcasts on wide-ranging topics such as winter pruning, propagation and planting. Plus, we'll provide regular updates on important industry developments, along with lively discussions on all manner of horticultural topics. We'll aim to bring you two short 20-minute episodes a week, along with a longer bonus interview with a key green-fingered peer every month. As ever, if you have suggestions for episodes that you'd like to hear, please just tap us up on our respective Twitter accounts at Gardening Saul and at Head Gardener LC. We'd be delighted if you'd join us on this journey as we step inside the busy and exciting world of the modern Head Gardener. Hello, Saul. As ever, it's lovely to see your beaming face. And um, I can sense that you're particularly happy at the moment because I know a certain gentleman has just had his birthday. So... Belated many happy returns of the day to you, sir. Oh, thank you very much. Yes, a birthday comes just once a year, but it's also a day off from work, which is quite nice. I, I've actually had two days off, so um, it's yeah, it's been extra nice. But yeah, thank you very much. I've had a, I had a lovely birthday. I I, I had a, a few things bought for me, which I um, confirm my nerdy nature. I, I got a, a new weather station, all singing, all dancing. It's going to measure wind speed. It's going to measure wind direction. It's going to measure rainfall. It's going to measure humidity. It's going to measure barometric pressure. So that's pretty I can't cool. wait to be bamboozled by all these figures coming my way. Because I know that you mentioned that you wanted a weather station a while ago because I at Donald and Hall, we, we measure the, the, the rainfall. And um, I know you said that Stones, you hadn't got to that stage. So now you're going to you're going to top trump me. You're going to just come out with all these facts and figures. And I'm going to go, well, we've had 30 mil. Actually, we did yesterday. We had 30 mil of rain in, in Colchester. It rained all day. We woke up this morning. It was snow. I've made, I made a snowman by eight o'clock this morning and threw snowballs around the garden. So that was lovely fun. But I was also going to say, I know you've, you've had a, something else rather horticulturally related, which you are a massive fan of. So, oh, I'm becoming so a bit, of, becoming a bit of a brand ambassador for, um, Nuwaki. Um, hopefully people who've been listening for a long time know I got a pair of secateurs from, um, Nuwaki, which is a, a company that specialized in Japanese tools. And they were amazing. And since then, I've just been buying up the whole catalogue. So I got a Hori Hori, which is one of these weeding knives, Japanese weeding knives, a couple of months ago. And now I have a uh, a, a pruning knife uh, and a grafting knife. And uh, I've even bought the hat. That's how much it started to seep into my... Uh... <laughs> I saw the hat. I saw the hat when you sent me the photo. So I thought, wow, that's that's serious. That's commitment, Saul. But then, you know, when you're there with your Hori Hori... And your other tools, and you've got your Nawaki hat on, and you're doing that all that stuff that you're doing in the garden. You will feel top of the world. It's a very comfortable hat, I've got to say. Unfortunately, I have quite a big head, that, and, and that's in more ways than one. <laughs> but um, I find it very hard to. And <laughs> Lucy's got her lips closed. <laughs> My lips yeah. are um, I find it quite hard to find headgear that fits such a big head, but actually it fitted fine and very comfortable so i think it's going to be quite nice to wear that for the winter uh, as i mentioned snowfall we had about i suppose about an inch of snowfall in colchester this morning and i had to rush out into the garden and check that everything was okay so i checked my greenhouse to make sure it wasn't too damaged by any snow it's all perfectly good, good. my brass my brassica cage 
um, was slightly uh, dented because of the weight of the snow on the netting. And I also checked my wormery because my little worms don't like getting cold. And I needed to check that the wrapping hadn't come off. Poor little fellas. So, and that is, yeah, that is one of the, the, the topic of tonight's podcast because Tufty, our regular listener and, and fan. Hello, Tufty. Thank you very much for your question via Twitter. You, I think I mentioned in passing my wormery and you said to me, I'd love to learn more about that. And we thought, well, we will oblige. But what we'll do tonight, rather than just focus on wormeries, we're going to talk about small scale composting. Mm. So in a garden setting, as opposed to on a large estate, because Saul and I both have mahusive <laughs> compost heaps Huge. at Stolens and East and massive big things. So they're not really um, anything relative to what a home gardener could produce. So we thought tonight for this episode, we're going to talk about small compost heaps. And then our next episode, we'll be talking about large ones. What's really interesting about home composting is there's so many methods. I, I, I was quite interested uh, when Tufty mentioned the question to have a look at how, how many different things, apart from the wormery, there's so many different types. So I think tonight we're going to talk about small compost mm. bins, wormeries, uh, hot bin composting, tumblers, and mm. yeah. uh, something that... I used to do, and I know you would like to know more about, which is Bakashi uh, composting. Yeah. So we're going to run through all those and hopefully enlighten our listeners onto uh, what's best. Yes, yeah, because, I mean, collectively they're all talking about decomposing organic mm. matter from the garden or from your kitchen. I mean, and this is the small-scale composting is generally for people producing the kitchen waste, a little bit of prunings. We're probably not talking here about massive big woody stems and things that get passed through a shredder. I think we're talking more about grass mm. clippings, kitchen scraps, the odd pruning, but nothing too, too sizable. So, um, yeah, as you say, the standard compost heap, they often are made of timber and um or you can get ones that are what we call the dalek bins which are the enclosed plastic yeah. bins that you tend to get from normal from local authorities they 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 give them out to to people and those are of a size that maybe would take up a capacity of a meter high and we were saying ideally the wooden compost heaps are a meter wide yeah. and um they they're not going to rot down really quickly none of these heaps are they're quite small apart from the hot bin that's a separate kettle of fish so the Dalek and the wooden bin are what we call cold composting, yeah. and they will take quite a while to decompose. The What we have on our estate is hot composting, which is a much more rapid turnover of materials. And as I say, that's going to be a topic for another podcast episode. But the cold composting, you can expect to get material out of your compost Dalek bin or compost heap after maybe six to nine months, something like that. So, so Saul, have you got either of those in your garden? Do you know, we haven't got anything at home because um, I right. only moved in a few years. But although I do keep a leaf bin, so I do do leaf mould. And that's a, 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 mm-hmm. another type of composting. Uh, my brother has one of those big Dalek bins and he always has problems mm. with it. And I think a lot of people do have problems with the smaller bins because they don't understand so much the process of how to produce compost and how the the science works composting is both an art and a science i always think because you've got to ensure you have the mix of material in your bin just right to get a a a good reaction going to produce the compost and and basically Mm. that is a mixture of what we call the green part of the compost to the brown part of the compost so it's usually leafy material and woody material what does happen a lot with most people's home compost is they tend to get a lot of, like you were saying, kitchen scraps and things coming out the yeah. kitchen. 
and you tend to get a lot of that and then you get this imbalance of too much of the the more leafier sort of kitchen scrap material and then you don't have a lot of the woody material for it to uh to collide with mix with to form really good Mm. compost so it's worth getting to know uh how the balance works better and it's actually more of the brown side of the compost the the woodier material or the or you can use something like cardboard or wood chip or uh, sawdust. Yeah, sawdust. You're, you've got if you've got things like hamsters or guinea yeah. pigs, for example, you can use their bedding. Absolutely can't you? perfect. The mix generally is something like three quarters of the woodier material to a quarter of the greener material. The problem is, is because we cut our lawn so much and there's lots of kitchen scraps coming up, it tends to end up with a lot of the green material. And then what happens is. Uh, the material in your compost bin rots down and it goes a bit anaerobic and that's when compost mm. sort of turns bad and you get all the goes, all the smells. <laughs> compost and, turns oh. bad. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> that could be a movie, when compost turns bad. It, it smells a bit. It does. Well, this is, this is as I say, you can get query sciencey about it. There's the carbon to nitrogen ratio, there's the woodies, which is the browns and the greens, which is the wetter material. But essentially, for someone who's a newbie to composting, if your compost heap gets too dry, it's probably got too much woody yep. material to it. And then decomposition doesn't occur because it needs to have that moisture or a level of moisture to rot away. If the compost heap starts to smell and gets claggy and soggy, you've got too much greens in there. So what you then at, at that point need to do is add some brown. So as you say, sawdust, mm. wood chips, that kind of material. Um, scrunched up newspaper. Not glossy um, magazines so much. The colour print, I think... The, it's changing the what what they contain now, but there can be materials in colour prints that can be a little bit harmful. So stick to newspaper, that kind of thing. So so yeah, so that's a, a rough guide for if it's gone one way or the other, how to adjust. Yeah, it. and it's worth with the smaller compost bins to keep moving the material around. We like I say, mm. we're going to do another episode on our really large piles, and they tend to say. Uh, years in, in in one position you don't tend to move them so much but actually with the smaller ones it's worth mixing up the material because the other thing that can happen is you can put a load of green uh, say if you've just mowed your lawn and have like a good few inches of the green green waste and it's not actually mixed in with the brown waste as well as having a good balance you want to make sure they're in contact with each other so the reactions can yeah. start uh, and then you want yeah. to start getting all the, the 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 fauna coming in so there's sort of two main elements to a good compost first it's all the stuff that you can't see all the all the bacterial um um element or the or the microbes doing all all the eating work and then you get in the things you can see so things like wood lice slugs are really good for the compost they'll they'll eat through Mm -hmm. material but the probably the main one is worms and actually i think that's what tufty was asking us mostly about was what type of worms should he be getting to use in his compost um and and this leads us quite nicely on to wormeries as well because there are similar species of worms that you want in your compost as well as your wormery so what worms have you got in your wormery lucy you never thought you'd get asked that i know i know honestly i've lived my life to be asked that question this at this moment <laughs> i have got tiger worms what they call brandling worms in my my wormery uh it's um Isenia futida is one of the species names Isenia is the, the is the genus of of tiger and brandling brandling worms it's not earthworms because they live in the soil tiger worms brandling worms they live in organic matter so that's the difference you can't take your 
garden earthworm and put it into your wormery and hope that it works. If you want to start a wormery off, often the companies that, that sell them will send you the worms themselves. Or what you can do is go to another person's compost heap or even go to a pile of manure. I've found that you can get tiger worms in manure heaps. They're quite um, easy to mm. spot. They do have distinct yellow and red stripes to them, whereas earthworms don't have that mm. at all. So that's what you're looking for. But as I say, companies who sell wormeries will, will stock the worms for you. And yeah, um, a wormery is essentially, if you haven't got a, a vast quantity of garden material or kitchen waste to dispose of, then do consider a wormery. Um, most of them stand um, maybe the size of about three foot high, two foot wide, something along those lines is my, the dimensions of they the They look wormery. a bit like a beehive, so, some of them, like a, the size of a beehive, yeah. Yeah, my one does. You can get them that they're either made of plastic, mine's made of timber with plastic inserts to it, and they're, often they're stackable. They don't need to be. It's not key, but they're often stackable because what will happen is the you add... First, but to set up your wormery, to, uh, you, you, you have to put a, a load of coir in the base or something that's very open that the worms start in. Then you put your raw material on top, your, your, um, all your kits and scraps, uh, as a newspaper, a little, you could put grass in it, but not too much. You need to mix it with other materials, really. And then the worms, as that material starts rotting, they move up into that layer from the lower layer. And they're constantly moving up into the, the, the upper layers of your, of your rotting material. And so then the, the actual, um, vermicompost is this, so it's vermiculture is the name for, for worm constic. The, the vermicompost is in the bottom of the wormery. So, and then there's, there's no worms in that at all. Once they then, they're moving up into that, that top layer. So as that fills up, you can take the lower layer off, put that onto your garden, and then that, empty uh, capsule then gets put on the top and it's it's like a rotating system so that's what's going on there and i should say as i say at the moment my wormery is insulated if you haven't got it insulated you need to put it into a shed or a garage because i don't like to have anything below say 10 8 degrees centigrade so they'll struggle with that kind of temperature oh that's interesting since so they need it need it quite warm they do. the other thing I, I i think i'm right in saying is that they don't like uh too acidic conditions so you've got to be a bit careful about putting in uh, citrus and, and and stuff like that you in have. there. Is that well, yeah, you have. And things like um and often it's quoted it's like onion onions and citrus. And citrus is because it's acidic. Uh but I think you'd have to add a lot of citrus to adjust the pH significantly. I always think it's like the the classic comment about rhubarb leaves on the compost heap. Again, I think if you add things in balance with other items, you're gonna be okay. okay. But if you literally just have a diet of gin and tonic and um, onion soup, you might struggle to keep your wormery in balance. <laughs> so that's interesting. And you and and you can also get a, a leachate, a, a liquid feed off that, can't you? As well, it does collect in the bottom. There's a sump in the bottom where any leachate will collect, and that can, that's like a high nitrogen liquid fertilizer. Obviously, with all these organic um, ways of, of, of creating fertilizer the components are very variable depending on what you've added to your wormery or your compost heap so just bear that in mind but yeah you can dilute it one to say one to 20 it's again it's very very um ambiguous mm. because of the the components contained in it but that's a safe dilution rate to apply and then you can use that uh, as a as i say basically a nitrogen fertilizer on your plants so more for the summer months than anything through the winter or autumn oh, that's, uh, yeah. yeah it's yeah. interesting and i and i think wormeries are pretty good for kids aren't they as well because uh they like seeing the worms and they are and it's quite nice to to play see things doing things and there's lots of when you lift the lids off there's lots and lots of creepy crawlies within like you, you mentioned you know there's a lot of 
micro and macro organisms that are involved in generating compost. You know, there's, I say, there's all the spiders, centipedes, millipedes with lice, um, springtails, all sorts of stuff there. Uh, you will also, and we should address this because this is quite a common question for us with composting. You will also get flies often on the top of your compost heap or your wormery. Um, they're not doing anything wrong. They're just decomposing like all the other creatures. But for some reason, we don't like flies very much. So if you're not a fan of the fruit flies that appear on the top of your compost heap or wormery, bury the raw materials under a layer of already rotted material, and that will reduce the amount of flies that you get. Oh, interesting. So the, the two uh, next techniques of composting we're going to put together, and that is hot bin composting and the tumblers mm. you can get as well, tumbling composting. And they basically work on a very similar uh, fashion in that they are uh, an ultra aerobic uh, composting. Um, we're going to talk about anaerobic composting with Bakashi. But the key with the aerobic mm. composting is you're feeding all the, the microfauna, all the bacteria to constantly be renewing and getting through the compost and then the temperature going up with your more slower composting in your bins where it's what we call cold composting although it will warm up what happens is eventually the bacteria runs out of air because everything gets compacted and then the temperature goes down and then you get the cold part of the composting with the hot composting because you're always adding air into the system they're always eating and therefore the temperatures can go up and generally this type of composting uh, can go up into temperatures around 40 to 60 degrees c so quite hot mm. and it's a very quick method of producing yeah, compost that's, that's the key, the key. you can get compost in anything that's from, the attractiveness yeah for 10 weeks it can take between about 10 and 12 weeks to get compost out of the system so and the other attractive thing is is you can put most food scraps in, including it says meat and bones in there and they will get composted yeah. as well. Um, I've never tried hot mm. bin composting because I've always gone down the, the sort of uh, the cold route. But it's quite interesting that um, these methods exist. And I think they really appeal to the household who wants to get through things very quickly and has that surplus of household waste, you know, the green side yeah. more than the brown side. Um, have you ever used them before? I haven't used them before. I've heard I've heard very good things about them. And you say the science behind hot composting is you will get a better quality of compost because things like pathogens and weed seeds, because of that heat, mm. they are actually killed off a lot more than cold composting. That's the one of the disadvantages of cold composting is the the heat is there, but it's less. So you don't get um, so much of a, a knock on the head of those problems like, as I say, diseases and weed seeds. Um they are a bit more costly. Yeah. That's the one thing that's prohibited me from actually investing in a hot bin or, or that kind of compost structure because they are more of an investment. But if you are generating a good amount of organic matter in your garden and in your kitchen and you want to become a, you know, a real compost fan, and I think they're a, definitely a, a good way to follow because you get compost quickly. My worm composter does not generate an awful lot of compost material you know i can't utilize just that as a gardener i need to go and buy other sources of organic matter like well rotted manure or whatever um a, a cold composting unit like a dalek bin or a wooden compost bin also is not going to give you lots of material but if you if you want a good amount of material 
then yeah, this is this is worth looking at. I think. Yeah, and I think as well as a, a, a higher cost, there's also a higher time spent using it because with a tumbler, you've mm. obviously got to keep on turning it, so you've got to remember that. And I think with the hot bin, you have to keep adding wooden pellets, which is something you have to buy to keep the structure open enough for air to get into it. So if you're going to go mm. into those two types of composting, you need to put a bit of bit of effort and time in, I think. But obviously, being a quick method means you get compost quickly. Now, the last method we're going to talk about is an anaerobic method and is quite an interesting concept. It's yeah. it's uh, Bokashi, or how, how did you pronounce it? I don't, we don't quite know what it's I said, said Bokashi, Bokashi, but then Maybe it's like, it um, it's like if you say Enseti or Ense, That's or what do you, how do you pronounce it? I say Enseti. Yeah. Yeah. Anyhow, it's... But, yeah. Anyway, it's Bakashi <laughs> composting. Now, I did have a Bakashi system back when I used to live in flats because we didn't have a garden and mm. I really wanted to compost. Yeah. Um, in essence, it's a it's a Japanese system where you can throw in anything from the kitchen. It'll take meat, bones, anything. You compact it and then you throw over uh, this special bran which has uh, been inoculated with certain bacteria which are meant to increase the acidic conditions within the, the food waste and literally pickle all the food waste. It's yeah. It's fermenting, which is very in vogue. It's, moment, very, it? it's so. very weird because when I first got it, being a gardener, I thought it was going to compost it, but it doesn't do that at all. You collect everything over, say, about 12 weeks, keep on compacting it, putting over the bran, and it slowly pickles it. And the amazing thing is, is the food still looks like the food once you empty it. <laughs> so you still have whole... Perfectly preserved and pickled. It looks, it's bizarre. Yeah. You still have oranges and all your orange peel and apple cores and you think it's not done anything but it actually has pickled the the all the food and then basically then you will add it you can either add it to your compost heap you can bury it and then that will completely disintegrate within a week and add nourishment to the soil it's a really weird system and i think it's something you have to get used to by doing um again you have to drain off a leachate there's actually a lot of um liquid material that comes off and you can use that as a food but um as a system it's not like anything else you've used uh but it's really great if you don't have a garden because it literally sucks away all the waste this is the thing isn't it yeah i think whenever i've i've i haven't tried it i've written about it a few times and i it is definitely something that an urban gardener would uh find appealing because you can literally have it under in your kitchen cupboard on your on your work if you've got room on your work surface most of us in small flats haven't speaking from experience but but that you can have it in essentially indoors it doesn't generate odors or flies or anything like that. it's a sealed unit yeah, no there's no there's no flies or any other organism associated with it at all apart from the 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 micro organisms within it yeah i think it's useful for people who are concerned about the environment they don't want to put organic matter into landfill i know we have green waste collection systems now which are making that less of a an option anyhow but but if you are wanting to as i say not add to uh landfill and then if you add organic matter to landfill it, it creates methane which is a global warming gas so there's 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 environmental reasons for using a bokashi unit and yeah, I think it's 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 like almost having, you know, when you have like a little ant farm yes. in your garden when you're little, you know, it's similar to that. It's a setup. It's just fascinating because it is a it's it's dipping your toe into the water of um, rotting down material and 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 understanding the cycle of of 
all that kind of thing of, of, of what, you, what happens to your, your, your organic matter if you decide to ferment it. So, so it's definitely worth looking at. Again, I don't know what the price is in, in comparison to say one of these, um, hot bin and tumbler systems it's they're not the cheapest are they they aren't the cheapest and you do have to keep buying the the inoculated brand that is probably the thing you have to yeah. keep getting in because if you don't put that in every time you put in a new layer then you slowly do get a build up of of not so nice aerobic waste so you have to keep on doing that mm. and again you have to invest some time to drain it off but um, eventually, it, it all fits because that's the other thing. It's so small. Um, unlike the other methods we described, which take up a bit of room, this can take up the same size as a small caddy, waste caddy, like that you would have in your kitchen. So it's it's invaluable for small flats and things. And I think it's something we're going to see more and more of, especially like you say in 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 the urban environment. So hopefully, one of those methods has uh, you know your interest uh, i think everyone should be able to do some composting because as lucy sort of alluded to we can't keep throwing all our waste into landfill not only is we haven't got the space it's also just produces really bad greenhouse gases so the more we can compost for ourselves and use in the garden it's better and hopefully one of those methods will interest you now we're going to stop there on small composting but the next episode we're going to do is going to be on what we do at our estates and get ready for diggers and very very large <laughs> piles of wood chip oh yeah bring that on <laughs> that concludes today's episode we hope you enjoyed listening and look forward to you joining us again for the next installment any review you'd like to leave via your podcast provider would be gratefully received. Winter is a natural time in the gardening calendar for reflection, adjustment and musing over new plans for warmer seasons ahead. So Lucy and I hope to inspire and educate with our thoughts. We'll also bring you interviews with some of the very best personalities our industry has to offer. We aim to dispel the myth that gardens, and therefore gardeners, slumber in winter. We promise that in this profession nothing could be further from the truth. As two enthusiastic and passionate head gardeners, winter is a busy season in our calendar. So let us help you keep one step ahead in this most marvellous and rewarding of careers. Until the next episode of Talking Heads, goodbye! goodbye.